Welcome to Heart of Worship Church Podcast. For more podcasts, sermon videos, daily devotions, great new worship music, and more, be sure to download our app by searching Heart of Worship Church in the App Store or Google Play, or visit us online at heartofworshipchurch.com. Ecclesiastes 3.1 says... To everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under heaven. Tonight's lesson is know your season. Know your season. There are carnal seasons. Of course, we all know, you know, the yearly seasons, the earthly seasons, the physical seasons. But there are also spiritual seasons. That would be heavenly seasons. God works in seasons. And you'll realize things when you start to see that if you miss a season, things start to loop and you kind of have to wait for things to come full circle. You know, kind of like the Israelites in the wilderness, they they would not get it right. And then they would have to make this big loop in the wilderness until it all came back around. And, And I've seen cycles in lives and in in learning and in growing and in other people's lives where if you miss the lesson, if you miss the point of graduation, you have to repeat the class and you have to come full circle and he'll bring you back sometimes to almost the exact situation with the exact same elements, just in a different place, maybe even with different players waiting for you to get it right. And I call these seasons. And the Bible says that there is a season for every purpose under heaven. This is talking about spiritual seasons because for everything that God has a purpose for, he works it through seasons. There are physical planting seasons. There are physical harvest seasons, but there are also spiritual planting seasons and there are spiritual harvest seasons. And you will know, you will notice that when God tells you there's a harvest coming and you will see that, that seeds that have been planted for years and sometimes even decades, all of a sudden seem like they're, they're finally coming to harvest. Those souls are finally coming in. People that maybe you ministered to 20 years ago, all of a sudden, God's moving in their life. And it's not just them, but it's others around them. And you'll see that there is a harvest season. There are hiding and growing seasons. There are rising and going seasons. There are times when God will tell you, go hide thyself. We know that season well, those cave seasons. We've all been through that. And you'll notice that the word has been shifting lately. Danny's message about uh, the light cannot be hidden. You'll get more go, more shine, more step outwards. And you might say, well, was everything we heard before wrong? No, it was a season. And the seasons do change. But it's important to know the season that you're in. The Bible says that we need to be able to discern the seasons. The Logos word in scripture, we've talked about this, the written word, and then there is a rhema word, what God is speaking to you. The Bible says that, we've used this example before, you know, the Bible says to that to every man it is appointed once to die, but it also says that God heals. So if you're sick, which one applies to you? Well, that's when it takes the rhema. You've got to hear from God directly to find out what is your season. If it's your season to die, it's just your season to die. But if it's not your season to die, then the word of healing can apply to you. 
you have to know the seasons. So we're going to talk tonight about learning your season, to know your season, to discern the seasons. There are corporate seasons, in other words, seasons that apply to a, a body, a church, and then there are personal seasons. So your pastor may have already been through some of the seasons that you're going through. Hopefully he has. For example, Moses went through his wilderness season with his father-in-law before he led the Israelites through their wilderness season. So the corporate season that the Israelites went through as a congregation, Moses had already personally went through himself. There are personal seasons and there are corporate seasons. We need to learn to discern the seasons. The carnal and the spirit oppose each other. They war against one another. Therefore, physical signs will usually oppose the spiritual season that is at hand, so it can only be spiritually discerned. If you go by what you see, what you think, what you feel, you will miss the season. Because what you're seeing in the physical will usually be in opposition to what is actually coming in the spirit. And you see this all through scripture, people that missed their season because they were looking for the physical sign and not trusting in the voice and the word of, that the Lord was putting forth. To be able to discern the season, the spiritual season that you're moving into, it has to be spiritually discerned. You cannot rest on what you see, what you hear, what you feel, what you think. It will look the opposite in the flesh, but you got to take it by faith when you hear the word of the Lord. And we're going to look in Scripture tonight to see some of the ways that we know the Scripture tells us to know and to discern the seasons. Matthew 24, 43 says... Know this, if the good man of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore, be ye also ready, for in such an hour as ye think not the Son of Man cometh, who then is a faithful and wise servant, whom his Lord hath made ruler over his household, to give him meat in due season. If he told you in advance everything that was going to happen spiritually, you wouldn't seek him for it. Now he's saying that God's going to give you meat, that word. Meat represents the word. He'll give you the word in due season, but you got to seek him to get the word. It's not going to be something that you can see. It says it'll come like a thief in the night. It's not something that you could physically tell is coming. But if you will seek the Lord, if you will be diligent, he will give you the word to know when the season it's coming. Of course, this is talking about the return of Christ, but it applies to every season. Go to Matthew 16, verse 1, and we're going to look at those who were blind to the season. In Matthew 16, verse 1, it says, this was Jesus speaking, The Pharisees also with the Sadducees came and tempting desired him, talking about Jesus, that he would show them a sign from heaven. In other words, a physical sign. He answered and said unto them, When it is evening, ye say, It will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in morning, it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and lowering. O ye hypocrites, ye can discern the face of the sky, but can ye not discern the signs of the times? A wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, physical signs. 
and there shall no sign be given unto it, but the sign of the prophet Jonah. And he left them and departed. This was Jesus talking to the Pharisees. They were saying, if you're really the Messiah, show us something. We want proof. We want to see it before us. And he was saying, no, you're looking for physical signs, but I will show you no sign except for the sign of the prophet Jonah. Jonah came with the word of the Lord. He sent a prophet to speak it, though you could not see it. And they had to, by faith, receive it. There was no physical sign that Nineveh was going to be destroyed. There was a word from the Lord coming from the mouth of a prophet. And that was it. They had to take it, believe it, and receive it or reject it. And this is the way the Lord works. If you think about it, Jesus, before his exposure, how did God reveal it? Through John the Baptist. He sent a prophet speaking, giving the word, and that was it. God will speak the word and he will give people the opportunity to receive it or reject it. The signs will come later, but let me tell you something. By the time you start seeing the physical manifestation of it, it's already too late. You have to receive it when the word comes forth. And when Jesus comes back, it's the same thing. What does the Bible say? The two prophets. There's two prophets that go out and proclaim and the people can receive it or reject it. And when they're killed and by that time, it's too late. By the time you see him coming, it's done. You can't wait for the physical sign. You have to believe the word when the word comes forth. God will always confirm his word, but by the time he confirms it, it's so in motion already, it's already too late. You have to believe when he speaks. This is the way God works. A prophetic word with no physical evidence of it is released. If you wait to see it start to be proven, it's already too late. This is how seasons work. It's the prophet's job to announce the time and the seasons. I could do a whole lesson just on this topic, but we're not going there tonight. We may at some point, but it's the prophet's job. The prophet really has no authority within the body, which is probably why it's the office that you see women move in more than anything else. A true prophet, not the fake prophets. There's a lot of people that claim to be prophets that are putting themselves in roles and authorities that is not actually scriptural. But the prophet really has no authority. They hear God's voice and they proclaim it. It's the evangelist's job to run with that message. It's the apostle and the pastor's job to enforce the message. It's their job to have the authority. For example, you look at it as like a ship. The church is like a ship. The prophet's the one looking out saying, um, iceberg dead ahead. I see it. You need to go two clicks to the left or whatever. But it's still the apostle and the pastor's job to steer the ship around it. The prophet can't run down and say, you're not listening to me. Take the helm and steer the ship around it. Though sometimes maybe they may want to. And I think probably at sometimes probably we have. That is not the role or the authority of the prophet. The prophet's job really is to allow them to hit the iceberg if they don't believe you. Because that's the only way they're going to learn to start listening to the voice of the Lord is if they sink a few ships. It's sad, but it's true. The evangelist's job is to go out and to run with the message. But the word of the Lord, the times and the seasons and the announcements are always put forth by the prophet, but it's the people's job to receive it or reject it, to walk in it or to lay it down. We used the example the other night of the, the body moving together. We were all arms locked together as one, and we were having to go through obstacle courses and take orders and all these things, and everybody moving as one body. 
you could think of it as the assignment was a season, but there were times when you shift directions and you had to follow the orders to go in these different directions and achieve these different things. These shiftings of directions are like different seasons. Things change. You will move in one direction because you got that order, but if you're not seeking the Lord continually for the next order and the next season, you will get stuck slamming your face against the wall because you didn't hear it's time to shift season and go the other direction. God is not static. God wants to speak to you continually, and he sets it up in a way that we have to seek him. Jesus fussed at the Pharisees because they could not discern the season, the time, The Messiah was standing right before them, and they could not see it. They had all knowledge and intellect to understand Scripture and programs and and all of these things, but they couldn't discern the time and the season. And you can have your doctrine right. You can have everything right. You can know all the programs and the plans. You can have all of the finances, but if you don't have the discernment of the season that you're in, nothing's ever going to work out because you need to know when it's time to plant, when it's time to sow, when it's time to hide, when it's time to grow, and when it's time to go. You have to know the season. And a lot of times God will give you a vision of the final product of that tree full of fruit or of the harvest, and people just immediately want to jump to the harvest. And God's like, wait, no, no, i got to take you through some seasons. And so they start creating their own seasons And that's where you get these people moving in, in, you know, these Jezebel anointings where they say, well, I want that. And God says, no, no, it's not your time. And then Jezebel's spirit steps in and says, well, I'll get it for you. And so, you know, like Nabat's feel, I'll get it for you, even though it's not your feel, even though it's not your time, even though it's not your season, I'll get it for you, even if you end up with blood on your hands. And so you end up with these ministries that are actually sacrificing souls, though they may not even fully realize it because they're moving in their own logic in the trust of men in their own. They're out of God's season. His power is not in it because his power is there to empower you in the season that you're supposed to be in. So then they have to draw from other powers, and then you get all of these antichrist spirits, all these false things in the church. People try to run ahead of God, and if his power is not there to meet you in it, they look for another power to empower them in it. They get out of season. We're going to look a little bit, go to 1 Thessalonians 5.1. We're going to look at those who did discern the seasons. But of the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. For ye yourself know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say, peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them. Again, the physical signs are contradicting the spiritual season. The people are saying peace and safety. It looks like peace and safety, but sudden destruction. Why was it sudden destruction? Because they didn't know the season, the spiritual season that was at hand. As travail upon a woman with child, you better know when the due date is. These things come in their season, in their proper time. And they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness. And that day shouldn't overtake you as a thief. So Jesus comes as a thief in the night, but not for those who know the season. He only comes as a thief in the night for those who are in the night. If you are in the light and if you have the revelation of the Lord, it should not overtake you as a thief. You should be able to discern the season. Ye are all children of the light 
and children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. You have to be watching. You have to be sober, vigilant minded. You have to be seeking the Lord and he will let you know what season you are in. Now, biblically, it was the prophet's job to seek the Lord and discern the times and the seasons. In the New Testament, that does still apply. But the truth is, is that we all have access to the prophetic so we should all be seeking to discern what our personal seasons are. Now, the prophet may move more in the seasons of the church or of the body or of corporate movement, but every person individually needs to be seeking. Don't wait for somebody to come and tell you what your season is. You need to seek, seek the Lord yourself to know what season you ought to be in. All right, so you can know spiritual times and seasons, and you must know them, or at least know someone who does, before you try to lead others. First Chronicles 12, 32 says, And the children of Issachar, and God has put this tribe Issachar before my face for the last two weeks, and I'm seeing some pretty crazy stuff, so we may end up doing a study just on them. They're pretty interesting. Literally, it was their job to know the times and the seasons. But And the children of Issachar, which were men that had understanding of the times, to know what Israel ought to do. The heads of them were 200, and all their brethren were at their commandment. You will notice throughout, and if we may do a study on this at some point, but throughout Israel's history, this tribe was always in alignment and agreement with God's will and God's plan, even when nobody else was. They always knew the season that God was moving in, even when it was contrary to what you might think, because, you know, God always does what you don't expect. You know, you can remember in the time of Deborah when it was still uncommon for a woman to be leading Israel, but God had placed Deborah as head over Israel. And when she had called all of the tribes to war, many of the tribes didn't come. But it specifically states that the children of Issachar came and they supported her because they could discern the time and the season that the Lord had appointed her for this. When David was anointed king by God, but was running for his life from Saul. And there was a division amongst Israel as to who was king. Some of the people sided with Saul and some sided with David. The children of Issachar 100% were the only ones that were 100% in agreement and alignment with David because they knew God's will. They knew the time and the season. They knew that Saul's season was over and David's season had begun. They knew that the Lord had departed from Saul and that the Lord had been with David. So there was a, an anointing on this tribe to know the times and the seasons. And so we need to know, we need to learn to discern the time and the season, what God wants you to do, what he wants you to do individually and corporately as a body. There is a time to plant, there is a time to grow, and there is a time to go. You have to know what your season is. So we're going to examine some of the seasons Everything starts with faith. Go to Matthew 17, 19. And you know how I know besides a thousand other confirmations that this is the word for tonight? Because Miss Liz is wearing it on a shirt. Can move mountains. All right. The whole next segment is based off of Miss Liz's shirt. All right. When, I was, when you walked in with that, I said, ha, ha. 
<laughs> All right, Matthew 17, verse 19 says, Then came the disciples to Jesus apart and said, Why could not we cast him out? Of course, they couldn't cast the demons out of the child. And Jesus said unto them, Because of your unbelief, for verily I say unto you, If ye have faith as a grain of mustard seed, ye shall say unto this mountain, Remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. Howbeit this kind goeth out not but by prayer and fasting. And so we all know this passage and we all love this passage. Mustard seed is super, super, super tiny. So we, we love that, you know, that small faith that can do big things. But it goes a little deeper than the small faith that can do big things. Because if you'll flip to Luke 13, verse 18, you'll get the deeper revelation of what the mustard seed represents. I have a mustard seed right here if you want to see it. That's awesome. Really? Pass it around. Okay, so we just we looked at the mustard seed. Luke 13 says, Then said he, then this is Jesus speaking again, unto what is the kingdom of God like? And whereunto shall I resemble it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which a man took and cast into his garden, and it grew and waxed a great tree, and the fowls of the air lodged in the branches of it. Okay, so we see now that the real meaning of the mustard seed is not so much about how small the seed is, but at how much of a potential it has to grow. Because it starts small, it's the smallest of the herbs, but then it becomes the largest of the herbs. It actually makes a small tree large enough to hold birds of the air. A mustard seed is a large herb. So though it is a tiny bit of faith at first, it's not about how that little bit of faith can move mountains. It's about how that little bit that starts can grow. It can grow into something bigger than what you could ever have thought would have come from that little seed. Don't despise small beginnings. Yeah, small beginnings. Yes. It's about how much potential there is for it to grow out of something so small. That one little thing that you say to somebody that you think didn't take root, there's a time... And there's a season, <clears throat> and we're going to get more into seasons. But you know, <clears throat> not every seed that falls to the ground germinates right away. Some have to, some seeds, some seeds will not germinate unless they go through a hard winter. Some seeds will germinate easily, but some seeds actually have to go through a long dormant season, a hard winter before they have to have so many days of frost and frozen weather before they will germinate. They're hard seeds. There are hard seeds out there. So just because the seed you planted didn't come to life right away doesn't mean that it doesn't have a season. Keep praying. Keep praying for God to water it. Keep praying for God to move in it. Everything comes in its proper season. Yeah, there are some hope, That's good. Yeah. <laughs> there are there are some seeds in the desert that will lay dormant for years waiting for a monsoon. Waiting because the thing that actually brings a seed to life to germination is water and heat. Holy Ghost fire and the word. Water and heat. That's what brings germination. 
change, right? In fact, it has to die before it can be proven that it's God. And sometimes a person has to exhaust all of their efforts, and sometimes we have to exhaust all of our efforts before God will say, okay, now it's impossible. Now I'm going to bring it to life because now I'm going to get the glory. Right. When you think it's hopeless, when the promise dies, and we didn't cut, but Jesus says, unless the seed falls to the ground and dies, it abides alone. All right. A seed must first die. That's the season. The seed must be hidden in the ground for a season. The seed must be given time to grow and to mature. You have to baby that seed when that plant first comes up. Like you said, your dad, you got to baby that. When a Christian's first born, God does baby it. We baby it. God gives it all those little nuances of faith that they are going to need to sustain them through the hard season to come. But then there's a growing and a maturing season where they're not babied quite so much and they start to go through things and he starts to expect a little more of them. Um, But it's all preparing them to produce fruit in their proper season. And I think a lot of people get discouraged because they think I get saved, I want fruit. I want to be able to give other people my fruit. It, It doesn't really happen that way. There is a process to everything. There is a season. Uh, verse 20 in the same chapter says, And again he said, Whereunto shall I liken the kingdom of heaven? It is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal, till the whole was leaven. So we're seeing here that he took these, this leaven, which you can look at as a type of seed. It's hidden in the meal. It's hidden for a season so that it can grow. And there comes a time when it comes to the, to the point where you say, okay, that's enough, and then you bake the bread. There's a, there's a season of hiding, there's a season of growing, and then there's a season of serving. And so we're going to look now. God was showing me some things here, and this is something he taught to me yesterday. So I'm learning this with y'all, that the Lord is showing me there are things that we've done right, and there are things that we've done wrong. And there are things that I have seen in what he has brought me through that I have always said but had no way to prove that he then basically showed me in Scripture. So we're going to go through it and see what the Bible says. And the Bible does give us a guideline for the seasons that we are supposed to go through. Now, if we go through them rightly, we can get through them pretty quick, just like the Israelites go into the promised land. They could have got there quick. Very rarely do we go through them right. So very rarely do we get there quick. (laughs) But I'm going to tell you what they are so that hopefully we can get there quick. All right, so faith is a faith that grows. It starts as the tiny mustard seed. He'll give you just a little something. He'll, the Holy Spirit will take over you and you will do something mighty for God. You will see a miracle. You will be part of something. And then he takes you through a growing season. It's almost like a parent that holds on to the handlebars and, and pushes their kids along on the bike to show them, look, this is what it's like. It can be done. But then they take their hands off the handlebars and say, you, okay, you do it. You figure it out. There are things that God's going to take you through when you're early on in your Christian walk, and it's going to seem so easy and so amazing, and you think you're doing this, but really you're like that kid where the parent's holding the bike up for you. The Holy Spirit's doing the whole thing through you, but he's putting that seed of faith in you that it can be done. And then he pulls back for a season while he takes you through some stuff to teach you how it's done. There's things that I did for God in past seasons that... 
I was like so amazed and so much faith. And I'm like, you just got to have faith to do it. And then I went through a season where it wasn't so easy and it wasn't happening so effortlessly. And I'm like, well, what did I do wrong? Am I in sin? And God had to show me, no, now I'm teaching you why it happened, how it happened. Now you're going to be able to teach this thing, not just say it's possible. You're going to be able to instruct on it because that was just me holding the handlebars. Now I'm telling you to get on the bike and ride. There are seasons and there are reasons for the seasons. Faith is the seed that dies to self. Grace is the transformative resurrection power that causes that seed to spring forth into newness of life, into a whole new thing. Then the measure of faith that is given is given a chance to grow into something bigger that is able to produce fruit which is grace and faith manifested for the benefit of others. Your fruit is another seed. It's faith. And it's grace manifested to be able to give to somebody else so it can be their seed that starts their faith growing. But the faith has to start with us. We have to die to self, that we have to be resurrected in newness of life, and we have to go through a growing and a maturing season. And the scripture actually lays out in a very strange way, what these seasons are, or as the Holy Spirit revealed it to me. So that's what we're going to go with tonight. All right, two things will determine the fruitfulness of a tree. Where it's planted, the soil, the parable of the sower, which we're not going to read, but we know the parable of the sower says that some fall on good ground and it grows and it's just easy. It says some, you know, fall on stony ground and it gets, it's shallow rooted. It, it doesn't dig down deep. And so for people that are very shallow, <laughs> they're very materialistic or whatever, it, it's not really getting through. They're hard-hearted. And so the first little storm that comes knocks it over and uproots it. You know, that's those people. They're all excited for God. But as soon as God says, I need you to give this up, you know, or an attack rises against them and somebody slanders them. And it's like God says, you got to love them anyway. I'm not going to... It's, it's not rooted in deep in the word. Um, then it talks about those who are rooted. It grows up. And it says it's even producing fruit. And But the thorns come and they choke it. And it says the thorns are the deceitfulness of riches and the cares of this life. They get so distracted, so minded on earthly things that it chokes out their connection. Their roots get choked off and they're not getting that connection from God anymore. And it shrivels up and dies. It stops producing fruit. Right, there are different grounds. That has a lot to do with your fruitfulness. But something else that has a lot to do with the fruitfulness of a tree, and we have a lot of fruit trees and didn't really know how to take care of them until God sat me down and taught me this yesterday. And I will show you God gave us illustrations because there's something happening to a few of our trees that plays out in this scripture. Another proof that this is the word for the season. What matters probably more than anything as to whether or not a tree will be fruitful is how it's tended to in each season. A tree has to be tended to in certain ways. Go to Psalms chapter 1, verse 1. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree 
Plant it by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Now look at that, and we'll go back to that one for just a second. That bringeth forth his fruit in his season. So if the tree is planted in a good place, he's planted by the water. His roots go down deep and he's drawing from those well springs of living water. Even though everything is optimal, he still has to wait for his season. The fruit will come in its season. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. God will preserve the righteous, but the ungodly, though it may seem like they're growing up like uh, the tares, the weeds growing up with the wheat, that they kind of look the same at first. When the fruit comes, you know what's what. And the, the ungodly will perish. It won't last. A man that trusts in himself or the ways of other men or what he sees, according to Scripture, is cursed because he will always move out of his season. He will miss what God is doing. He will kill the harvest before it reaches maturity. Now, we just read this whole passage about the tree that is planted by the water and all of the good things that come to it. So now jump to Jeremiah 17, verse 1. And in Jeremiah 17, verse 1, we get the same imagery, but it focuses in more on the person, see the, the tree that is planted by the water, he's drawing from the Holy Spirit, the water. He's drawing from that rhema word of God. He's seeking the Lord and he has roots that run down deep. And when the drought comes, it doesn't affect him because he knows his time and his season and he will produce fruit. But when you go to Jeremiah 17, 1, we see the same thing, but it touches a little more on what happens to those who or of the ungodly, it says, and the sin of Judah is written with a pen of iron and with a point of a diamond. It is graven upon the tablets of their heart and upon the horn of their altars. Whilst their children remember their altars and their groves by the green trees upon the high hills. O my mountain in the field, I will give thy substance and all thy treasures to the spoil and thy high places for sin throughout all thy borders. And thou, even thyself, shalt discontinue from thine heritage that I gave thee. He's talking to Israelites. He's saying, I'm going to disown you and take away the promised land that I gave you. Did you know you can lose a promised land even after it's been given? The Lord said, I will discontinue thine heritage that I gave you. And I will cause thee to serve thine enemies in the land which thou knowest not. For ye have kindled a fire in mine anger. That's the bad fire. We don't want that fire. Right. Which shall burn forever. Thus saith the Lord, Cursed be the man that trusteth in man, and maketh flesh his arm, arm representing strength, and whose heart departeth from the Lord. You're not drawing from that river of living water. For he shall be like a heath in the desert and shall not see when good cometh. He doesn't discern the season. 
He's looking at physical things. He's trusting in men's plans. He's trusting in the strength of his own arm. He's trusting in what he sees, the carnal seasons. He's discerning the signs of the, the sky, but not discerning the signs of the time in the spirit. You shall not see when good cometh. In other words, God is preparing a good season. He's preparing a thing, but you're going to miss it. But shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness in a salt land and not inhabited. Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord and whose hope is the Lord. For he shall be as a tree planted by the waters that spreadeth out his roots by the river and shall not see when heat cometh, but her leaf shall be green and shall not be careful in the year of drouth. Neither shall cease from yielding fruit. Even when drought comes, physical seasons of drought come on everybody else. Because you have discerned the signs and the seasons and the times and you have drawn from the Holy Spirit and you have sought Him out, you will be fruitful even when it physically doesn't seem likely that you should be. When it looks like it's the time when everybody's losing members in their church, you'll be drawing people in because that's your harvest season. If it's a spiritual harvest season, if it's time for the hiding, then you'll be hiding, even if it may look like everybody else's church is growing because they're going through the programs, but you're discerning the seasons. If the season the Lord has you in is a hiding, then there's a purpose in the season. If you are in the right place and it's your season, when you are by that river, and that's kind of like your hiding season, your cave season, and you're just drawing from the Holy Spirit, even though it's dry everywhere and the word of the Lord is, is, you know, the Bible talks about a drought of the word, you're still producing fruit. You're still getting that rhema. You're still getting the truth. Even though nobody's teaching it, nobody's preaching it, it's still coming to you. You're, and you're still bearing fruit. And it may seem like you're in a season where, because it's your hiding season, where it might not even seem like much is going on. You don't realize the fruit that you're putting out, you know. There has been a lot of fruit, you know, when God told me to start doing the manas, it was like maybe five people reading them, you know, when I started. But now there's like 30,000 people reading them, you know, and it's some of the ones that were written from the beginning because I was obedient in the season that he sat me and nobody could see me. There was no glory in it. I was doing it, you know, out of obedience. There was seemed like nobody was even reading it, but it was fruitful because I was obedient to the season that he put me in and he made it fruitful. And it's a continuous fruit that's coming forth from it. You know, and some of them have had, you know, tens of thousands of people on one post reading it. It's become fruitful because I was faithful in the season that he put me in. The purpose in the hiding season is to develop that character more than to go out and reach the lost. Because really your fruitfulness does not come in that season. It comes next. I'm telling you, I didn't know this until yesterday. So don't think, you know, this is like huge. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't miss, you know, I missed this. And I'm just, I've seen it play out. And I've spoken it, but I didn't have proof of it until God showed it to me yesterday. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? (laughs) I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. The producing of fruits, like Danny said, is a lot to do with your own personal character because that is part of the testimony. As the partridge sitteth on eggs and hatcheth them not, so he that getteth riches and not by right 
Now, this is important. Shall leave them in the midst of his days and at his end shall be a fool. So if you try to do things in your own effort and, and because we're focusing kind of on ministry tonight, if you're trying to build things of your own understanding of your own effort, it's like a, a partridge trying to hatch eggs that won't hatch. And you can look at that hatching eggs like hatching schemes, hatching plans. I'm trying to figure out, well, it worked for this person. It worked for that church. Well, I saw this person do it. Why am I sitting on this thing forever and it's not hatching? Why is this person not getting saved? Why is this plan not working? It wasn't the proper season. It wasn't the proper way. You got to understand that God is doing something. If you will stay and draw from that river, dig your roots down deep, you will produce fruit in the proper time. Because this is the part that we really don't like. Before a tree can truly produce any fruit, it's got to go through a lot of pruning. There is a pruning season. We don't like the pruning season because it's painful and the tree doesn't like it either. It looks like it's going to die. All right, get planted by the water. Let your roots go deep. The waters always change before the season does. This is one of the ways you'll know that the season is changing. If you are a tree planted by the water, you will know when the seasons change. Any fisherman, we're a fisherman town. The fisherman can tell you when the seasons are going to change because the waters change first. You will know by the Holy Spirit that the season's going to change before you see any physical sign of it. The church is going to look the same. The people are going to sound the same. It's going to be the same out everywhere, but the flow of the Holy Spirit is starting to change. The words are starting to change to go let your light shine, to step out to war, to fight. The words are beginning to change. The spirit, the flow is beginning to change, though you see no physical change. We're getting words of destiny. You see things changing in the way the spirit is moving, though you don't see it in the physical and in the real world, that really happens. The water, the rivers change before the season itself actually shows any signs of changing. If we look at the story of Elijah, Elijah had did a man on this a little while back. Elijah got a word from the Lord and he went stood before King Ahab and Jezebel and he prophesied. All of the other prophets were running away. They were hiding because Jezebel was killing them, obviously. But Elijah, he's a man of God, and he gets this word from the Lord. He goes and he prophesies to them against them. He does this mighty and wonderful work, and, you know, he might think, yeah, God's using me. Yeah, now I'm going to have a lot of followers. Yeah, you know, I'm the only one that's doing it right. I'm the only one that's speaking the truth. And God says, go hide yourself by the brook Cherith. I'll send birds to feed you. Live in a cave. Well, that's not what I wanted to hear. I wanted a big ministry. I wanted people to know that I did it right and I spoke to the king when nobody else would. God said no, because that was the seed of faith. That was the Holy Spirit in him. That was God saying, I showed you that it can be done. Now go hide yourself by the brook. Go plant yourself by, like a tree by the water and learn some stuff. Don't move, because the Bible says the brook Cherith, that is before the Jordan. The word cherith means cutting, cutting away. In other words, go plant yourself in the wilderness because I have 
some cutting away to do. I got some circumcision of the heart to do. There's some things I need to teach you before you can cross over the Jordan. Because when you cross the Jordan, you're going into the promised land. You ain't going into the promise until you spend a little time in the wilderness by getting rooted in by that brook, by that water, getting some stuff cut away for you. There's a season of circumcision and I'm going to bring you to something at the end that's going to make you go, Oh, okay, I get this. There is a season of circumcision that takes place in that wilderness. God fed Elijah there with birds. They brought him his meat. He drank from the brook. You have to learn how to hear from the Holy Spirit, how to drink that in. You got to learn how to be fed of the God. You got to learn how to get your provision from him. The flow of the river of Revelation coming down from the throne of God will change before the effects of it become evident. Know the seasons and the signs of the times are changing because there's something that happened to Elijah in this wilderness. He knew when it was time to move when the river changed. It says that the brook Cherith dried up and then God said, go, I've prepared a widow for you. There was another season coming. There's a couple of things that Elijah learned. His seed of faith was whenever the Lord used him to go and prophesy to the king. Then God told him to go hide himself by the brook before the Jordan. There was a season that he went through there of absolute dependence on God. This is what your wilderness, your cave season is for. To learn how to be dependent on God, to learn how to be intimate with God He was taken away from everybody else. In other words, I don't need you to go prophesy. I don't need you to minister to other people. I need you to sit and learn how to hear from me. I need you to sit and learn how to depend on me. I need you to sit and learn how to be dependent on me and how to grow and branch out your faith. He learned how to have faith in God's supernatural provision so that he would not be tempted to sell out for carnal provision. This is the most important thing concerning ministry in your cave season. You got to learn how to depend on God for everything, supernatural provision for word, so that you're not tempted to draw from carnal things, to draw from men, to draw from Bible college, to draw from the internet, to draw from what you saw somebody else do. You got to learn how to be fed by birds. You got to learn how to drink from the river. You got to learn how to sit and wait and hear and depend on God. And it's a branching out because think of yourself as that tree. When, when that seed sprouts, it grows and your faith begins to branch out. And I can say that in my seasons, I had faith for a few things, but God branched that faith out into so many other things as it grew. When God decided that Elijah had learned the lessons, had grown, had matured, and had branched out his faith enough, then God changed the season. But only God can change the season and his provision and power will only meet you in the season that you're supposed to be in, not in the one that you put yourself in. So if the power's not there, get back with God because he's going to meet you in the season that he's put you in. Every true man and woman of God needs the wilderness season. For the most part, I won't say 100% because there may be some little tiny in the middle of nowhere Bible college, I don't know, but I will say for the most part, Bible colleges rob you of this and produce stunted, broken saplings incapable of producing fruit or discerning the seasons because it assigns them pretend seasons that God never initiated or graduated them into or through. It's trusting in man to bring you 
to the Jordan without having to sit alone with God by the cherith. Professing themselves. To be wise, they became fools. It's trying to skip the wilderness. Give me a piece of paper that will give me access to the promised land. No, go sit by the brook cherith. I'll tell you when you go there. That's the only way that it works. You're wasting time sitting on eggs that will never hatch. Plots, schemes that amount to nothing. You'll either be fruitless in Jordan or you'll waste years there and end up having to come right back to the cherith anyway to start all over again and do it right. There is no skipping the wilderness. The Bible keeps using this tree analogy because God is trying to clue us into the seasons. And this is where it's going to get good. And this last part really won't take very long, but this is, this is the part that God really began to show me. And he had to do some stuff in our fruit orchard to really drive it home. But God, I'm learning the lesson. So go to Leviticus 19.23. Leviticus 19.23 says... And when ye shall come into the land and shall have planted all manner of trees for food, then ye shall count the fruit thereof as uncircumcised. Three years shall it be uncircumcised unto you. It shall not be eaten. I've always told Danny that I've seen that God goes through these cycles of discipleship for three years. He brought me out into my wilderness for three years and he taught me himself. He caused me to go through hardships and trials and prunings and pluckings to learn from him, to become dependent on him. This was my time at Cherith. And it was a three-year period. And I started seeing in scripture all these other people that went through these three-year periods. And then the Lord brought me to this. And it says that when you plant these trees... The fruit is uncircumcised for the first three years. Do not eat it. So what they would do is when the bud would come or when the fruit was young or small, they would pluck it off. What does uncircumcised mean? Fleshly. The flesh has not fully been cut away. The first three years, when the Lord truly gets in you and sets you to to start moving in the plans and the past that he has for you, he's going to take you through a series If you do it right, it'll only last three years. If you don't do it right, it can last 30 years. I went through this season. I did it right. It only lasted three years. The next season, which should have lasted one year, I think has lasted four years. So we'll get to that. But for the first three years, it says the fruit is uncircumcised. It is fleshly. So yes, you will begin to bear some fruit right away. But you can't get saved and expect to start leading others because what you're going to feed them is flesh. The first three years, God's gonna, you're going to start to produce a little fruit. You're going to start and God's going to pluck it off and he's going to pluck it off and he's going to show you in the plucking and in the pruning the areas that are still fleshly that need to be circumcised. Because when you were so excited and you thought things were going to work and it doesn't work and those things start coming up and he starts showing you, well, that's because you're selfish. Well, that's because you have offense. Well, that's because you're fleshly. Well, that's because you're prideful. Well, that's because you just want to be seen. He starts showing you these things of the flesh that need to be cut away. This is why it's so dangerous for young ministers when people want to just promote them and throw them up and put them somewhere because they're still working in the flesh. Their heart is all in it and they're they're zealous. They don't mean to be, but they've just not been matured. They're zealous. They're fleshly. This is why 1 Timothy 3, 6 says, 
talking about those that will work in the office of a bishop, of a church, that's somebody that's standing before the people and ministering to them, it says, let it not be a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be of a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into reproach and a snare of the devil. We had this little rule here about six months from the point you get saved that you can't stand up before the people. And I mean, other than a testimony, everybody should be able to share their salvation, their testimony. But you can't try to teach or sing songs or worship or minister or preach or anything. For at least six months, you need to prove yourself that you're being of good reputation. Out Well, actually, according to Scripture, according to what I'm going to show you here, it should be three years. It actually should be three years that you prove yourself before you ever stand up before the people and represent God. Now, that doesn't mean that he won't use you in your fruit in the training. He'll use you with individuals. He'll send you out. He will teach you things, and he will cause you to interact with people. What I'm talking about is leading others, is standing from, the off, from one of the offices. He's going to use you in evangelism in this time of your life more than any others. And you're going to see more miracles because he's teaching you. He's showing you. And you're going to mess up more than any others because that's where he's pruning. That's where he's getting the flesh out. But there really should not be anyone trying to teach anyone or lead anyone from an office for three years. That's what the scripture says. Because with the first three years, you are producing fleshly fruit. It's fruit. Your heart's in it. You don't mean to. But it's not circumcised yet. He's working some things out of you. There's stuff that we've had to go back on the YouTube and take down because when we look at it now, we say, you know what? That was fleshly. None of it was wrong doctrine or anything wrong, but was it in the right spirit? Was it arrogant? Was it fleshly? All right, so he says, uh, Likewise, must the deacons be grave, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, nor greedy, nor filthy liqueur, holding the mystery of the faith in pure conscience, and let these also first be proved. All right, so when we tell people when they come and, you know, they, they want to teach, they want to preach, they want to sing a song, so we have to see a season of fruitfulness. It has to be proved that you're going to stick this thing out because you're putting Christ to an open shame when you get up before the people one day and you're out acting the fool in town the next day. You're putting Christ to shame. So we have to prove that. Then let them use the office of a deacon being found blameless. This is, this is what the scripture says, right? Go to Galatians 1 verse 10. So when people give us this flack about making them wait six months, I'm sorry, the Bible actually says you should be waiting three years. And that's really more to cover us because you have, you know, the people that just want to be seen and they just come in off the street in the bar the night before and want to get up and and put on a show and sing a song the next day. And so those rules kind of just help us to not have to deal with that and be like, look, nope, sorry, there's rules. Then we're actually going to look at Paul's uh, testimony in Galatians right now where he says, uh, chapter 1, verse 10. All right. For do I now persuade men or God, this is Paul speaking, or do I seek to please men? For if I yet pleased men, I should not be the servant of Christ. But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after men. For I neither received it of men. In other words, I didn't go to Bible college for this. Um, This is not from men. Neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. 
For ye have heard of my conversation in time past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it and profited in the Jews' religion above many my equals in mine own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my father. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the heathens. Immediately, I conferred not with flesh and blood. I did not seek anybody to teach me. I didn't go to the tabernacle or the Bible college. I didn't even go to the disciples. He says, neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, after his heart had been circumcised, three years, three years, I went to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him 15 days. But other of the apostles saw I none save James, the Lord's brother. So basically what happened is he's saying that after I got saved, I went and got shut in with Christ and prayed and was taught by the Holy Spirit himself, by Jesus himself for three years. Then after three years, then I went and sought out Peter and James because he figured, I'm assuming that they would be the most learned because they were disciples of Christ and James was Jesus's brother. He went to basically confirm. He went and talked with them for 15 days and they would have said, yes, what you're saying the Lord taught you is definitely in align with what he taught us. He was going to kind of like what we would call an ordination. You know, he was going, right. He, they were checking him out. They were giving him the, you know, yes, this definitely lines up. This confirms our spirit. This is right. And God will do that when you're in that season of pruning and circumcision. He will teach you. If you get shut in and you pray and you seek the Lord, the Holy Spirit will teach you himself. And then he will send you places to have it confirmed. There's, there's a, a couple that me and Danny have been listening to some of their stuff recently uh, from a church up north. And a lot of the stuff that we have taught over the last two years, when I'm going back and looking through their stuff for the last two years, it's lining up some of it word for word for word. That's God confirming to me that it was the Holy Spirit, that it's the right thing. So God will do that. He'll get you alone. He'll teach you. But when you know that it came from him and then he confirms it through other sources, you know that you have heard from God and you'll hold on to that and you won't be swayed by every wind of doctrine that comes along or every plot of men or every thought that says, oh, I think I can do this. No, no, no. God has told me I'm in this season. He has confirmed I'm in this season. He has given me the reason for the season. I'm not moving until he moves me or God says it's about to shift and change when everybody else is like, I don't see nothing. By the time you see it, it's too late. You done missed it. You better get in alignment. There is a reason for the season. And we won't go into scriptures, but Jesus was with his disciples. You mentioned also for three years. He taught them for three years. We should all have a lock-in with Jesus, praying, praising, learning, being taught by him. And in this season, you're going to do some general um, 
evangelistic stuff like Jesus did with his disciples. You know, he would tell them, yes, go pray for this person, go do this. They were doing general things, and that's how God teaches you and trains you. Now, he didn't tell them, go preach in the synagogue. In fact, he said, you don't go out and teach others until you have been endowed with power from on high. The Holy Spirit has come. That all happened after Jesus left. But he did give them assignments, and God will give you assignments, and he'll use those assignments to teach you, to build your faith, to equip you, to power you, and to prune you. Because some of those assignments are going to fail miserably, but that's part of the process of cutting away the flesh because you don't realize what's there until you've been cut. Sometimes it's going to cut. We go back to Elijah. Elijah had to be fed by God himself by Cherith. But once God moved him to the next season, he then used Elijah to feed the widow, her son, and himself. God will move you to a season where you're feeding others, but not until you've learned how to be fed from him yourself personally. How are you going to feed somebody else when you're not being fed? And I can, I can tell you like this, um, many of us know the resting place in Baton Rouge. They would have different ministers come in every Friday night. So some were on point, some were hearing from the Holy Spirit, some were not, right? In that season where God was teaching me and I was spending the time being taught of the Lord, He would send me in sometimes and I would get confirmations. But then there were also times where he was training me to discern. And I'm like, what this person is saying is not lining up with what the Holy Spirit is telling me. Now, some of the other people there, they would eat it no matter what it was. But God was training me. Okay, this is confirmed. Wait, this is not confirming. And so then I would have to seek the Lord some more. Am I off or are they off? And then he would bring the confirmations from different areas or whatever. It's a teaching. It's a learning how to discern. It's learning how to know the times and the seasons. Okay, now from an agricultural standpoint, I have to tell you, this is something that I learned also. This is something that we have not done right in our fruit orchard, and we have not historically done it right in the church either. From an agricultural standpoint, there is a reason that God told them to pluck the fruit off for the first three years. The sapling, the tree, is not able to support the burden or the weight of the fruit that it is bearing. So it can bear fruit in the first three years, but the tree is not strong enough to withstand. If something comes to eat that fruit, if something comes to get that fruit, or just the weight of the actual fruit itself can break the tree. So go ahead and pull up that first image. We have a tree that is about a year old. This is what happens to a tree in the first year when you don't pull the fruit off of it because we're just so eager. We're eager to see somebody produce fruit. That person that just got saved and all of a sudden they want a platform and a pulpit and we're like, great, go to Bible college. Great, here's the pulpit. Great, here's the fruit. And you're not taking the time to pluck that fruit off and tell them, no, get stronger, get stronger. This is a persimmon tree and it was about three times this tall, but it couldn't bear the weight of the fruit in our yard and it broke. And see, there's still one on it. This branch is probably going to break too. Now, it's better that it breaks early than breaks later. This is another reason for the hiding season because it's better for you to make your mistakes ministering to that one person on the street than ministering to thousands in front of a TV. Because the bigger the tree when it breaks, the more damage it does and the the harder it is for it to come back from it. 
So it's better for breakage to happen in the first seasons than in the later seasons. However, the breakage would not have happened if you'd have plucked the fruit. And so I think sometimes in our zealousness to encourage people into ministry, we promote their fruit too early, too soon, and they can't handle the attacks. They can't handle the weight, and they break under the weight of it, and then they never fully come back to where they could have been. So I think for us, that's, that's and it's not something we've done intentionally. You just, somebody, you see a call on somebody, they're zealous, you want to encourage it, you want to produce that fruit, you want to throw them on the stage, you want to push them to the Bible the college. looking in, it's like, well, that's the early root of you, they want to be it would have been better to be shamed and embarrassed and whatever it took in the early season and have that circumcised than to let that branch continue to grow till it got so big that it split the tree. See, now you're making me feel better that I'm getting broke now. Like I was like, <laughs> yes, thank you now. Yeah. I'm feeling better now. That's good. It's important. It's important. So, all right. This is from the agricultural standpoint. Okay. Though you may be eager to get fruit, you risk severely damaging the tree's overall fruitfulness if you don't pluck off its buds for the first three years. You are supposed to remove and discard its fruit for the first three years because the tree is not strong enough to bear the weight or even a, of even a single fruit, and it will break under the burden of it. Just really super quick for the podcast sake, because I don't know if I, ex- I explained this where the podcast people can hear it. The image we're seeing is a small persimmon tree in our fruit orchard that had fruit on it, but it literally snapped in half because it couldn't handle the weight of the fruit. So going back to Leviticus, where we were reading, go to verse 20, uh, 19.23. All right. And when ye shall come into the land, and ye shall have planted all manner of trees for food, then ye shall count the fruit thereof as uncircumcised or fleshly, Three years shall it be as uncircumcised unto you. It shall not be eaten of. But in the fourth year, all the fruit thereof shall be holy to praise the Lord with all. So in the fourth year, you can let it start to produce some fruit. You don't have to pluck off the buds. But in the fourth year, though the tree was allowed to produce fruit, you couldn't it wasn't for your own increase. It wasn't for you, and it wasn't to give to the people. So you're still not saying, okay, go get in the pulpit, you know, draw from the increase of it. In this year, it was holy unto the Lord. In other words, you needed to start producing that fruit. You needed to start stepping out and ministering, but it needed to all go to the Lord. This is kind of when you start ministering in the unseen, but you're not getting any benefit for it, kind of like the manas, you know, that season where you're putting forth all your effort, but you're not getting any glory for it. You're giving it all to the Lord. You're not getting paid for it. You're giving it all to the Lord. It's not your platform. You're doing the work without the recognition because all of the fruit of it is being given back to the Lord. And this is kind of a, this is where the tree begins to become fruitful, but it's the first fruits. And the first fruits are always given back to the Lord. You gain nothing from it. After three years, of being pruned by God, this is kind of like your cave season, you need to start ministering in the unseen with no reward or exposure. This is your hidden season. This is where you're waiting for God to reveal you. I had told Danny at one point when we knew God was giving us the word of the the hidden season, I told him, I said, you know, God would be doing more in this season if we wouldn't be on YouTube and live because 
The thing is, is that the things he wants to do to train y'all, if he did it and you put it live, it would expose you before your time. And nobody's ready for the exposure yet. The branches haven't broken where they need to break. The things have not been circumcised. And so a lot of times when you try to jump your season, you hinder your season because there's a reason for the season. And when I, and we had talked about it for a little while. That's one of the reasons he stopped with the YouTube and, and all that stuff. And, and then God began to move more. And the, the glory began to manifest more because we were hindering what God wanted to do because it would have exposed too soon. Don't expose yourself. Don't move ahead of your season. This is why it's so important to discern the season. You need that hidden season. This is the season where the fruitfulness is starting to bear, starting to show, but you have to give it all to the Lord. It's not meant for the people. If you have to minister with all of your heart and it all goes to God and there's maybe one or two people there ministering, praise the Lord. If nobody sees it, praise the Lord. There's a reason for it. This is where the tree is being tested. The strength of the tree is being tested. The fruit is starting to bear and you're testing the branches. You're testing to see what's going to happen under the weight, under the load of all of this fruitfulness. This is where the fruit is being presented unto the Lord and the maturity of the tree is being tested. I can already tell you, if you think you are ready to be revealed, you're not ready to be revealed. If you think that the world needs to see you where you are, you're not, you don't need to be seen where you are. Because when you come to the point where you know God knows best and you stop trying to do it, that's usually what I told Heather before. One time I said, you will know when it's time to leave the cave when you come to that point where you don't want to leave the cave. And it's true. It came to that point where she was like, finally, like, you know what? I'm satisfied in the cave. Just me and God is good. Like within a week, God had moved her to the other job. God will not change your season until your season has changed you. If you haven't been changed by the season yet, there's no reason for the season to change. The brook dried up and they were forced to move. You will know. Don't try to move on your own. All right. You see, in the fourth year, the tree is more fruitful than ever. But if all the fruit isn't quickly removed, the tree's trunk is often not mature enough to bear the weight and the burden of it nor the strain of all of the creatures that come to eat at the fruit, and it can break off main key branches or even split the tree. This can seriously wound the tree and set the tree back for several seasons. It also exposes the tree to pests, to worms, to disease, and lessens its overall potential for future fruitfulness in the area where it was wounded. When God begins to produce that fruit, it's going to test the maturity of the tree. And if a wound comes to that tree, it's going to be an area that the enemy keeps attacking. And so that can set you back for a couple of seasons. I did great in the first three years. I went through them in three years. I think my fourth year season took a little longer than it should have. I think I've been in that fourth year season. Probably I did it probably took at least three years because I think there were some wounds I think there was maybe even some offense. I think there were some things that set in that God had to cut away, mend, heal, and strengthen. Because as long as that wound is there, the enemy is going to attack it. Those bugs are going to attack it. The disease is going to try to get in it. He's got to strengthen that back up. Or that area is going to always be a weak area. So there's a reason for the season. Don't skip your season. Go ahead and pull up the big, the picture of the big tree. This is our other persimmon tree. 
God is killing half our trees to teach y'all this, so y'all better get it. <laughs> I know you can't see it too good. I'll give you a close-up. This is a bigger tree. This tree's about in its fourth year, and there was a big branch coming from the bottom, and it is loaded down. It's never been so, this is its fourth year. It's never been so loaded with persimmons. It's got a lot of persimmons, but the weight of the fruit on this branch broke the branch and actually split it down in the trunk. This is what the trunk looks like at the bottom. It split the tree. That's a lot of damage on that tree. Yeah, it should have been pruned off. Yeah, I didn't know this until this whole lesson, but it says that in the fourth year, it will be fruitful. And this tree was fruitful, but it says you're supposed to pull all the fruit off early and give it to God, the first fruits to God. So when a person first goes through and they're starting to get fruitful, pull all that fruit off and give it to God. Give the glory to God. Use it for God's glory. Do in the unseen. This should have been, probably this branch should have been pruned off in earlier years because of the way that it was forked out of that, that tree. Um, but definitely the fruit is what caused it. The weight of the fruit split that tree. Uh, most likely what we're going to have to do is actually just cut this off cover it with a balm. They do make a, a balm that you can put on the tree to seal it back up. We're going to have to bind it. So you're going to have to get the husbandman, you know, God, you're going to have to go into the orchard. You're going to have to cut this stuff away. You're going to have to apply the balm. You're going to have to bind it. You're going to have to let it mend. It's going to take a few more seasons to get through this season than what it normally would have because now there's a wound that has to be healed. This is why it's important to have that season of testing and of maturing and of strengthening. The trunk wasn't strong enough to bear the weight of the, bur of the, the fruit that was being produced. This is a maturing. It's not hopeless. The tree is still there. It's still fruitful. It still has a lot. But this area is a weak area until it heals up. Now, good news is, is that once it does heal up, this will actually be a stronger area of the tree than before. Yeah, it will strengthen once we get it, get it mended back up. But this could have killed the tree. I mean, a big enough split can kill the tree. So it's very important, okay? So for the, for the podcasters, basically we have another persimmon tree and it's pretty much split down the middle because of the fruit bearing the load. All right, now, Leviticus 19.24. But in the fourth year, all the fruit thereof shall be holy to praise the Lord with all. And in the fifth year, ye shall, in the fifth year, we're in the fifth year now, ye shall eat the fruit thereof that it may yield unto you the increase thereof. I am the Lord your God. Number five is the number of grace. Also, this year the Lord, and I didn't know any of this till yesterday, but this year the Lord had given me that word of increase for this year. Do you know what this year is? This year is the fifth year that we've been Married. in the ministry here, that you've been here. This is the fifth year. So that's a year of increase. Yeah. So it says, in the fifth year, the tree is strong and it has survived the five years. Then you can trust it to bear the weight of increase. And then you can begin to consume and reap the rewards of your labor from the tree. I had something to tell you that whenever I was in business and I had my acquisition business, mm -hmm. there's like a saying that if your business makes the first five years, that it will make it. Wow. Well, there you I'm go. That's serious. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know the number, but I knew it. Same. Yes. Same. Same saying, but a church, if you make five years, then you'll probably make it. Well, that's... Most churches suppose within the first five years. Right? And that's, that's, that's what this is. It says, if you make it to the fifth year and the tree survives, 
then you can start reaping the benefits of it. Then you can see the increase. Then you can start harvest. So for the first three years, no fruit. It's all fleshly. Don't try to feed that to people. In the fourth year, it should be all service to God. In the fifth year, God will release harvest and you can begin to reap the benefits of your labor. You can go through these seasons pretty fast, but if you don't learn the lessons of them or try to skip them or do it any other way, you will continuously end up stuck in a season or worse yet, have to go back to the beginning of the cycle and start over until you do it right, just like the Israelites did in the wilderness. You cannot skip the season. The wilderness always lies before the promised land. So here's the breakdown. There's three years of learning. That's a cave season. The fourth year is unseen service and sacrifice and praise. That's your testing the strength of the tree and its ability to bear the weight and the burden of the fruit that it's meant to bear. God's going to start testing you. In the fifth year, in the fifth year, there is a bearing of fruit and increase. All right. And now... That's, there's many, many, many seasons and many cycles, and we're not, we, there's no way we can get into all of them tonight, all right? So that's the main cycle that I, I kind of wanted to bring to our understanding, that truthfully, a person is not going to be fruitful and moving in the things of God or really leading others for at least five years if they do everything right. If you get stuck in a season, it can be longer, now, he will use you where you are in all of those seasons. He's going to use you in different things because that's part of the training. But don't try to skip the season. There's a reason for the hiding. There's a reason for the learning. There's a reason for the growing. And it's better to get broken early than to get broken late. This was a bad break on that tree, but the tree can survive it. If it had gone on another two or three years and that break would have happened, it probably wouldn't have survived it. And if that would have been pruned off when it was younger, it would have been no problem. So the earlier you make your mistakes and the less people that it affects, the better. Let God teach you where you are. Just Now, there is another, another thing, another cycle that I've seen. I'm going to cover this super quick because I'm sure we're probably getting really late. I've seen many times that after three years, if the tree is either producing no fruit at all or it's producing bad fruit, poisonous fruit, God will usually uproot it and remove it out of the vineyard. Though intercession can prolong this a little, when you see God do it, don't replant the tree. Diseased trees do nothing but take up room and resources and spread disease to healthy trees. Pull up Luke 13, 6. I have two more very short passages, but I do want to show you this because this is what happens in that same cycle, in that same season, if the tree won't produce good fruit, if it's producing poisonous fruit or if it's producing no fruit, this is what happens. Luke 13, 9 says, He spake also this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came and sought fruit thereon and found none. So this is a tree that's not producing then said he unto the dresser of the vineyard, Behold, these three years I came seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down. Why cumbrous it the ground? And he answering said unto him, Lord, let it alone this year also till I shall dig it and dung it. And if it bear fruit, 
well. And if not, then after that, thou shalt cut it down. I've seen cycles being raised in church of people that come, that sit on the pew, but they never produce fruit. And then there comes a season where they get uprooted and God brings somebody else in. And you want everyone to stay forever, but there's a reason. God gets rid of unfruitful trees. He doesn't let it take up space in his vineyard. And if it's a poisonous tree, he surely doesn't let it disease other fruit. Eventually, he's going to dig it up. He's going to get rid of it. And in here, you see the work of intercession where the guy's saying, well, please, let give it one more year. Uh, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fertilize it. I'm going to give it everything I have. I'm going to pour all I got on it. We're going to just give it one more year and let's see if it'll produce fruit. And he says, okay, we'll give it one more year. So God gives it three years. The intercessor can prolong it. But if there's no fruit, he's going to uproot it. He's going to get rid of it. Go to Matthew 7, 17. Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. Okay, this is somebody. The other one was somebody who just isn't producing any fruit. They're, they're just taking up space. They're taking up energy. For the ministers, that's that one that just pulls all your resources and your energy and your time, but they never, ever produce any fruit. They never get anywhere. It's very exhausting work. Now, this, on the other hand, is actually producing bad fruit. It's actually producing corrupt fruit. It's actually poisoning. It's poisoning people. Oh, let's see. A good tree bringeth, it cannot bringeth forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit? Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. So Jesus said, if you're producing evil fruit, there comes a point where he's going to cut you down. All right. Now these seasons, we talk about these three-year seasons. We see this in personal lives. These seasons apply, but they usually apply on a much larger scale for whole congregations, churches, and also for nations. These same things will apply, but the seasons are just bigger. They're longer, but they still work the same way. So this will be our last passage. Go to Isaiah 5.1, and I'm going to show you. This is uh, the same season being applied to a nation, but it works the same for churches as a whole, and it works the same for people. I've seen God do this. This will be our last passage in Isaiah 5. Verse 1 through 6, it says, Now I will sing to my beloved, my well-beloved, a song of my beloved, touching his vineyard. My well-beloved has a vineyard in a very fruitful hill, and he fenced it and gathered out the stones thereof. All right, he's preparing the ground. He's making the ground good. He put a fence up. He took all the rocks out. And planted it with choice vines. He put good seed in it. The right words. You can look at this as a nation. You can look at this as a church. God gave the right words. The pastor's doing the right things. He's put up the right protections. He's done everything right. Or you ministering to an individual. You've given them the right words. You've given them the warning. You've given them the scripture. You've given them the good teaching. And built a tower in the midst of it. And also made a wine press therein, and he looked that it should bring forth grapes, but it brought forth wild grapes. That wild grapes in the original text actually means poison grapes. Um, it was a poison berry, actually. It wasn't even grapes, but it's translated wild grapes, but it means poison berries. So he did everything right, but when it should have brought forth good grapes, instead it keeps bringing forth poison berries. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge, I pray you, betwixt me and my vineyard. 
What could have been done more to my vineyard that I have not done in it? What more could I give? I gave them the right word. I gave them the right preaching. I gave them the right teaching. I gave them the truth. We put the fence of protection up. We did everything. We planted the right seeds, but no matter what I do, nothing is produced but poison berries. What more could have been done in it? Wherefore, when I looked that it should bring forth grapes, brought it forth wild grapes. And now go to, I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away the hedge thereof. In other words, I'm going to take the fence down. I'm going to take the wall down. I'm going to take the protection away. I will take away the hedge thereof. Again, this applies to nations. This is going to happen to America at some point. This applies to churches and congregations, and it applies to individuals. I will take the hedge away, and it shall be eaten up and break down the wall thereof, and it shall be trodden down. In other words, I'm going to let the wild beast come in and destroy it. Clean it out. I'm going to start afresh. And I will lay it waste. It shall not be pruned nor digged. Digged means fertilized. But there shall come up briars and thorns. I will also command the clouds that they rain no more upon it. So basically God says it comes to a point where I'm just going to clean it out and start over. You come to nations, you come to churches, you come to situations. There are good churches where God gives the truth. He gives it to them so much, but they will not receive it. They will not produce good fruit. So there comes a point sometimes where he says, you know what? Take the hedge of protection down. I'm going to level it. I'm going to let the enemy come in. I'm going to let him destroy it, bust it up, tear it down, and I'll start from scratch. That happened here. Daddy got a word years ago that God was going to tear it down to the ground and there wouldn't be a single person left of the old church. It was going to start over. Basically, that's what happened. God was saying, I gave you the truth. I gave you the words. I gave you what more could I do for you? But when you should have produced grapes, you only produce poison berries. So I'm going to let the enemy come in. I'm going to let it ravage. I'm going to let it tear it down to the ground. and I'm going to start from scratch. I asked my grandfather, because we have Johnson grass. We always fight with Johnson grass in our gardens. And years ago, I asked him, I said, what did y'all do in the old days before weed killer and tractors and all when you had Johnson grass in your field? He said, oh, that's easy. We just took all of the fences down and we let the pigs go in and uproot it and destroy everything. They would eat everything good and everything bad. They would even dig up the ground and eat the roots and the whole field would be sterilized and you start over from scratch, no weeds. That's what God will do with a church. That's what he'll do with the people. That's what he'll do with the nation. If he has to, he'll turn the pigs loose on you. He'll clean it out. He'll start from scratch. There is a time and a season. Go back to Ecclesiastic. There's a time for planting, a time for harvest. There's a time for building up and a time for tearing down. There's a time for uprooting. There is a season for every purpose of God. Get rooted in, drink from the river, hear from the Holy Spirit, and know the season. These are not the only seasons, but that's all we can really cover tonight. There are winter seasons where you have to learn how to build that fire of the Holy Ghost and you draw close to the fire. These are hard seasons of our life. There are harvest seasons when the things planted seem to come back. There are spring seasons where stuff that was dormant for a long time all of a sudden just springs to life and those promises start coming to fruition. And then there are assignments that you get that will last for certain seasons and there's going to be times when God lets you know that the seasons are changing.
But this is an overall view that we can look at to see when God starts moving us and using us, why things are happening the way they are because of the season that we're in. So remember, the power of God will only flow in the season that you were assigned to be in. Get out of alignment with the assignment and the power will not flow freely. So stop trying to make your own seasons. God won't change the season until the season has changed you. Find out what it is that that season is for and let God do his work in that season and then you'll get out of it a lot quicker and be able to move forward. Thank you for listening to Heart of Worship Church podcast. For more podcasts, sermon videos, daily devotions, great new worship music, and more, be sure to download our app by searching Heart of Worship Church in the App Store or Google Play, or visit us online at heartofworshipchurch.com.